Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Firstly, I just had to mention that today's class sponsored um, in honor of the neshama of Esther, the daughter of Zaisa. May her memory, may she rest in peace, and, um, and also in honor of the separate in the living, and Maurice, um, for health, happiness, and joy to 120 years. Um, the Baal Shem Tov on his... On his um, 47th birthday, got the ultimate present. Alter Rebbe was born on his birthday. They share the same birthday. And he made an Alter Rebbe to celebrate his birthday, and he told his Talmudim that a great soul just came down into this world. And he's going to illuminate the path for the Jewish people till Mashiach comes. And that's the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. It's also the day... And the Baal Shem Tov revealed himself, actually at the age of 26, his teacher revealed himself to the Baal Shem Tov on his birthday, Achi Ashilani, and he taught him for 10 years. He taught him the Torah, taught him the foundations of Hasidus, and 10 years later, on his birthday, when the Baal Shem Tov turned 36, he was revealed, he revealed himself. He was forced from heaven to reveal himself. After a year of wrangling and refusing, he finally, like, Mo, like Moshe, refused to, to assume the leadership Finally, he surrendered to the divine will and he revealed himself. So we are up to chapter 36, page 470. In the previous chapter, we read that the body or the soul of the person is like the wick. The Shekhinah is the, the, shechina is, the is a fire. The oil that fuels the fire, fuels the wick, and becomes absorbed into the fire, into the flame, the material that you need, which is oil, to make a steady flame and a, a good flame, a clean flame, a clear flame, that's, those are the mitzvot. He explains that there are many levels of the Shekhinah. There is the revelation of the Shekhinah that's with a Jew constantly. That's why a Jew always wears a yarmulke over his head. Because there's always, Hashem's presence always hovers around the Jew. Even if he does nothing. Just the fact that he's Jewish and that he exists. There is a level of holiness that hovers over the Jew. And that's why we cover the head with a yarmulke. Then there's a level of a shechina that's revealed when ten Jews get together. Then there's a level of shechina that's revealed when a Jew studies Torah. But the ultimate level of the Shekhinah, the ultimate fuel that fuels the flame, that fuels the flame, is mitzvot, active mitzvot. Why? Why these different levels of the Shekhinah, of the revelation of the Shekhinah? And why does the Shekhinah rest on a Jew even if he does nothing? If a Jew is just like a wick, and the soul is just like a wick, so why does the Shekhinah rest on, on a Jew? Especially since he explained that that love 
your personal subjective love for the divine or sense of awe of divine, that's, that's personal. That's not Hashem. That's not the divine. So that's a contradiction to the revelation of the Shekhinah. The revelation of godliness, in order to, for godliness to be revealed, you have to have the quality of bittel, of self-nullification, of egolessness. And that explains the difference, because, as we learned earlier in chapter 6, that a Jew has holiness. Every Jew, just by his being, has holiness. Why? Because a Jew has the potential of complete self-nullification. A Jew has the divine spark and he's ready. In the moment of truth, he's ready to give up his life, sacrifice his life, sacrifice his being for the divine. He's not ego-centered, he's God-centered. That's the core and essence of every Jew deep down, at least potentially. The divine spark. Therefore, because of that potential of self-nullification, that's why you always have the divine presence hovering over the head of each and every Jew. Because his mere being, his mere existence, his whole being, his whole... Is, he has that divine soul and that divine potential, that superhuman potential for complete self-sacrifice, complete ego self-nullification. So that's why he already has a level of the, the Shrina present. That's why you always have to cover your head, not only when you're doing something holy, when you're studying Torah, doing mitzvah. But in addition, in order to fuel the flame, in order to strengthen the flame, to bring a stronger sense of the Shrina, so that is by doing a mitzvah, by studying Torah, and ultimately by physically doing a mitzvah. Why is that? Because the self-nullification, it's not enough to love Hashem, to feel religious, or religiosity, or intensity, or high levels of consciousness, or meditation, or philosophy. No. The only thing that fuels a greater presence of the Shekhinah, a more intense revelation of the Shekhinah, is our mitzvot, Torah, and specifically mitzvot. Because, in a certain sense, the self-nullification, the act of a mitzvah, is the ultimate act of self-nullification. Because you're doing it because it's the divine will. You're doing the divine will. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about... It's not about your wholeness and your completeness. It's about doing the divine will. That's even when you study Torah. You're studying the divine wisdom. You're doing the divine will. But it's especially true when you're doing a mitzvah. Because the Torah affects your godly soul. It's when you're doing a mitzvah. In order to do the mitzvah, you have to engage your ego, your natural soul. So your ego soul has to nullify itself. has to agree to do the mitzvah. In a certain sense, that dedication, devotion, self-nullification is much deeper and much more impressive than the self-nullification of even your readiness to sacrifice yourself. What can compare to a person's readiness to sacrifice your soul, sacrifice your life, sacrifice your being? How can you say that doing a mitzvah, putting on tefillin, is more <laughs> impressive than sacrificing your soul, sacrificing your being? And the answer is, as we learned earlier in chapter 19, that for a Jew, for the divine soul, your readiness to sacrifice your soul comes natural. 
It's like a flame. A flame naturally is drawn upwards. A flame naturally wants to be absorbed in its source. A flame naturally wants to be swallowed up and disappear and become part of its source. Lose its identity. You have to force the flame down. So yes, it's egoless. But, it's, but that comes natural. So in a certain sense, it's not the ultimate expression of self-nullification, of egolessness. What's the ultimate expression of self-nullification? When you have to go against your nature, when your ego, your body, your natural self, your natural soul, you force yourself to do the mitzvah, which is by definition what a mitzvah is all about. Mitzvot are not given to the divine soul, because the divine soul naturally wants to do what God wants. In the world of emanation, there are no mitzvot. Does the soul have to command the body to move? The soul, the body automatically moves. No one's going to make a big deal that the body obeyed the soul and it moves. Whenever you want to move your hand, you move unselfconsciously, without any thought, without even thinking about it. It goes without saying. The body is nothing. The body is completely nullified before the soul. Egoless. So for the body who's completely, entirely egolessness to be one with the soul, that's no big deal. That's not the concept of a mitzvah. The concept of a mitzvah by definition is that there's an ego. There's a body. There's a natural soul that's motivated by self, by self-preservation. And God commands the body and commands the human being to, to listen and to do a divine act. And when the person obeys and agrees to do it, that's a novelty. That goes contrary to the nature of the body. So when you do a physical mitzvah, and you can only do a physical mitzvah through your natural soul and your body, that's the ultimate novelty in a certain sense. That's the ultimate self-nullification, the ultimate expression of self-nullification. The ultimate dedication and devotion. And that's why the level of shechina that you bring down when you do a mitzvah, you touch the divine, you reveal a level, of such an intense and deep level of the divine far, that far surpasses the level of the Shekhinah that always constantly hovers over the head of a Jew. Because of your ability and your uh, readiness to self-sacrifice. Because the sacrifice of the mitzvah is much more impressive. And that's why the mitzvot were given in this world. And the mitzvot were given in the physical body. And most of the mitzvot, all of the mitzvot ultimately really have to affect the body, engage the body, because that is the ultimate um, that is the fuel that fuels the Shekhinah that brings Hashem's presence into this world. So now he's going to elaborate on this point and he's going to explain that if the soul is like the wick and the Shekhinah is the flame and the oil is what fuels the flame and that, that's the mitzvah. What is the context. What is the context of the mitzvah? What are we illuminating? So now he's going to explain the whole context of the mitzvah and why this is the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of creation. The whole entire purpose of creation. The whole theme of creation. The whole purpose of creation is in order for us to do the physical mitzvah. Because it's only when we do the physical mitzvah, it's only when we engage the material and the body and the ego and we nullify ourselves before Hashem. This is the ultimate purpose of creation. In a certain sense, 
qualitatively wise, it's a much deeper and a much more impressive and higher level of self-nullification, of dedication and devotion to Hashem, which touches the very essence of Hashem. So when a person is in awe of God and you feel religiosity and you feel intense and you feel high levels of consciousness and you, and you feel absorbed and you feel uh, you understand and you comprehend and you love yes, it's very impressive quantitatively but it's very superficial it only touches the surface so to speak of God it doesn't really touch the essence of God it's when a person has to overcome his ego, and a person has to force himself, and is so dedicated and devoted to do the right thing because it's a commandment, because this is what Hashem wants, it's only through that that you truly touch the divine essence. You truly touch the essence of God, truly touching the divine. And that is the whole ultimate purpose of creation. And that's what really what he's going to explain now, elaborate in this chapter, page 470. In a well-known statement, our rabbis declare that the purpose for which this world was created is that the Holy One, blessed be He, desired to have an abode in the lower realm. He desired that the essence of His own self be revealed as it is, without veil or concealment, amidst the lower creation. Now, sages use the word abode or dwelling place to describe such revelation. Just as man's home serves as an abode for his essence, so too is this world intended to be an abode for Hashem's essence. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain the phrase, the lower realms mentioned above. He shows that this refers specifically to our physical world. The explanation in brief, the terms higher and lower realms do not denote degrees of respective importance in the sight of Hashem or of a closeness to Him. In Hashem's eyes, all the worlds, from the highest to the lowest, are equally insignificant. All are equally remote from Him. On the other hand, He fills the lowest world, just as He fills the highest. Thus, the terms higher and lower must be understood as a standard of comparison within the numerous worlds. They indicate to what degree godliness is revealed in each individual world. The more revelation, the higher the world. The more obscurity and concealment, the lower. From this standpoint, our physical world is the very lowest. For here, godliness is most veiled and concealed. Now, the Rebbe starts out, that the rabbis say, what, did, what was the purpose of creation? What was the purpose of creation? Why did God create the world? What's the theme? What's God trying to accomplish? And the rabbis say, it's mentioned a few times in the Midrash, that God desired to have a dwelling place in this world. What do you mean to have a dwelling place in this world? When you're outside your home, you project a certain image. When you're in the office, you project a certain image. You're the CEO, you're the president, or whatever you are. You're representing a certain image. When you're in public, you you project a certain image of yourself, a certain role that you play. Wherever you are, you project a certain image. There's one place where you don't have to project any image. You are yourself. You let your hair down. 
That's in your home. In your home, you feel comfortable. The doors are closed. The windows are locked. It's your private home. You can let your hair down. You're not projecting. You're not acting. You are yourself. And you can be yourself. Not just in the physical sense. A person could, could be naked, because you're only going to be at home. You're not going to be in the streets. But also in the, in the psychological sense. You are yourself. You're not, you're not impressing. You're not acting. You're not projecting. It's your essence. So God desired to have a dwelling place, a home for himself. And where does he feel at home? Where does God feel at home? In the lowest worlds. That's where he feels at home. And first, Alter Rebbe says, first you have to understand what do we mean when we say that God desired to have a home in the lowest world. What does it mean in the lowest world? To God, there is no lower, and there is no higher. God transcends time, He transcends space. There's no concept. Not only physically there's no higher and lower, there's no concept of higher, lower, preceding, cause, effect. To God, it's all the same. The highest world is not one iota closer to God, and the lowest world is not one iota more distant from God than the highest worlds. To Hashem, it's all the same. So what do you mean when you say that God desired to have a dwelling place in the lowest of all the worlds? What does he mean by that? And that's what he's going to explain now. But surely before Hashem, in His sight, the distinction of higher and lower is not valid. One world is no higher than another, for He pervades all worlds equally. What then do our sages mean by saying that Hashem desired an abode in the lower realms? The explanation of the, of the matter, however, is that Hashem desired an abode in the realms considered lower within the ranks of the world as follows. Before the world, any world, was created, it was only He alone, one and unique, filling all the space in which He created the world. Anything that could be conceived as a space or possibility for creation was filled with the Ein Sof light. So before he created the world, there wasn't even the possibility of anything to exist. All there was is God. All there is is God. There is nothing else. That's all, that's all that exists. Okay, and continue. In his view, indeed, it is still the same now. Creation wrought no change in his unity. He is one alone now, just as he was prior to creation. The change applies only to the recipients of his vivifying force and his light. Before creation, there was none to receive the divine life force and light. Creation brought into being these recipients. It's like a one-way mirror. From Hashem's point of view, there's no concealment. He sees everything. The concealment is only from our point of view. For us, there's a blockage. It's opaque. We can't see in. We can only see a reflection. For us, it's a mirror. For us, we see, we see a reflection. We don't see, we can't see through. Hashem, Hashem, does, Hashem sees through. There's no opaqueness. So it's two different perspectives. From Hashem's point of view, nothing changed. Before creation, during creation, after creation, nothing changed. He was alone before and he's alone after. It's like the famous analogy of the teacher. The teacher teaches the students, and he's teaching them by way of parable, 
similarly. So the difference is, for the teacher, there really is no difference before he had the parable, and now that he created the parable, or he, he, he uh, explains the parable, or he's using the parable, the teacher sees within the parable, he sees his original insight. There's no difference. The same brilliant, dazzling insight that he had before a parable, before he even had the parable, doesn't need a parable. It doesn't add anything. It means nothing. The whole purpose of the parable is for the student. The student is, there's such a gap between the teacher and the student, and Einstein and the students, that unless he discusses, unless he comes up with a parable from their world, from their life, they won't know what he's talking about. So he comes up with a parable from their life, and they grasp the parable. They cannot grasp the moral of the story that was in the parable. It's too deep for them. But they grasp the parable and they hold on to the parable and, and they can learn from it and slowly but surely try to understand the deeper meaning of the parable. But that's all in relation to the students. So for the student, the parable is like opaque. They can't see through it. All they see is the parable. And, and to them, the parable is reality. While the teacher who created the parable and he doesn't need the parable for himself, but he created the parable for the student, even when he creates the parable, and then when, as he's speaking the parable, he's telling the parable, he sees within the parable the original insight and all its brilliant, all its brilliant and dazzling, dazzling, with all its dazzling brilliance. Nothing changed. For him, nothing changed. So for him, it's, a one, it's like a one-way mirror. He sees everything. Total clarity. There's no darkness, no concealment. But for the student, there's darkness. It's opaque. can't see through. So for Hashem, even after He creates the world, everything in the world is just a parable to the divine. So nothing changed. Hashem sees within the world. He sees Himself. There's nothing else. Everything points to Hashem. There is nothing. Different aspect of the divine. That's all there is. But from our point of view, we don't see that. We don't sense that. So for us, the parable becomes very real time and space and concepts and the whole world around us, the world of objects, and, and that becomes very real to us. So for Hashem, there is no higher and there is no lower and there is no above and there is no below. All there is is God. There's no difference. Nothing changed. The higher is not one iota closer to God and the lower is not one iota more distant to God. They're all the same, all equal. There's no difference. God permeates all of reality. Higher, lower. The difference is for us. You want to continue? We receive this life force and light by way of numerous garments, which veil and conceal Hashem's life, for without such garments they could not bear its intensity and would not cease to exist. So it is written, for no man can see me and live. Furthermore, not only man, a physical being, but even spiritual beings such as angels are unable to receive the divine light and life force without concealing garment. So the simple meaning is, it says in the book of Exodus, that Hashem tells Moshe, Hashem tells Moses that no one could see my face and live. But the rabbis say, in addition, he's saying that no one could see my face, and even the angels who are called Chai, they can't either see my face. Not only physical people can't see the face, because otherwise they would die. But even, even the highest being, the spiritual beings, the supernal beings, cannot possibly see Hashem and continue to exist by its definition. A being, a creature, even a spiritual creature, the highest level of consciousness, a creature by being, by its definition, 
is looking from the outside, outside looking in. He's looking through an opaque glass. There's a glass ceiling, and it's an opaque. And he sees an image. He doesn't have that clarity. He can't see through it. Because were you to see, then you would cease to exist. There's no existence. From God's point of view, there's no existence. If we were to see reality from God's point of view, we would cease to exist. So the whole of existence is only from the other side. From the outside looking in. Where there's a lavush, there's a garment. There's a cover-up, there's a concealment. And as a result of this concealment, therefore that makes existence possible. A sense of separateness, a sense of something apart and outside. Outside looking in. So we can get an image. But we can't penetrate that veil. There's always a veil. Continue as our rabbis. And as our rabbis of blessed memory interpret the word, Bahai and live mm-hmm. in this verse as referring to angels. Thus, even angels called Chayot, holy Chayot, cannot see godliness, except by way of garments which conceal him, thereby enabling them to receive his light. The degree of concealment varies, however, from world to world and from level to level. Here the distinction between higher and lower realms becomes valid, as the Alta Rebbe continues. This concealment is the subject of the Hishtal Shalut, the chain-like graded and downward succession of the worlds and their descent from level to level through the many garments that conceal the light and the life force emanating from him, the more concealment, the lower the descent, culminating in the creation of this physical gross world. This world is not only physical so that the truth of Hashem's creative power is not in evidence, it is also gross in that the lie is held up as truth. So, Hishtalshulis literally means like a chain. One link, then another link, and it goes lower and lower and lower. So within the higher world, you have many different levels. You have higher. What's the distinction between different levels of higher worlds? The less concealed. The less veiled it is, the more godliness is revealed. A lower world is where there's a thicker veil, and there's less godliness that's revealed. But the one thing that all the worlds have in common, the higher worlds, is that godliness is revealed in those worlds. Versus what the Medrash is referring to, Tachtoinim. What does Tachtoinim? Tachtoinim means the lowest world. What, makes the low, what distinguishes the lowest from all the other worlds? What makes it lower? Within the higher worlds themselves, you have, you have an infinite amount of worlds and different levels. What distinguishes Tachtoinim from all the myriads of worlds that exist beyond the physical and the material? Ah. Because all of the other worlds are all about revealing Hashem. Godliness is revealed. The question is, to what degree is godliness revealed? In all of them, godliness is concealed. There is a veil. Because even at the highest levels, there has to be a veil. Otherwise, it would cease to exist. So the question is of degree. To what extent is godliness um, veiled, and to what extent is godliness revealed? But that's all within the same category. They all share in common that they're all veiled and they're all concealed. Godliness is concealed. But then, Tachtoinim, the Medrash is referring to meaning a world that's different than all the other worlds. Because what's the definition of Tachtoinim, of this material world? The definition of this material world is a world in which godliness is not revealed. Godliness is completely obscure. 
When you look at the physical world, you don't see godliness. You don't sense godliness. When you look at a tree, what do you see godliness? You can wrap the tree and love the tree, but you don't see godliness. You can love the tree, but you don't see godliness. You don't see the divine energy, the miracle of creation, the miracle of life. You see an entity, self-preservation that's motivated to preserve itself. That's all you see. Nothing in this world points to Hashem. So the world is completely concealed. You don't see godliness. So Tachtoinim is different than all the other worlds. All the other worlds are about revealing Hashem to one degree or another, more or less. This world, the physical world, doesn't reveal anything. But, although it doesn't reveal, you would think it doesn't necessarily lie either. So he says, no. It's not only is it the Gashmi is immaterial, it's Chumri, it's coarse, it's a gross world. Because it actually lies. Not only doesn't it point the finger to the truth, not only doesn't it point to the truth that there's a creator, that it has a cause, that it's connected to something greater, but it actually puts up a lie, a false front. It's coarse. That we become, we, this is a very egotistical world. Not only we don't point to the divine, but in a certain sense it actually opposes the divine. That the lie appears to be the truth. You look at the world and the world aggressively, the natural world aggressively covers up on the truth. Aggressively covers up in God. So much so it feels so natural for so many people to deny, even to deny that there's a God. Not only doesn't the world shout and point its finger, there's a God, there's a reality greater than us, It actually shouts and points its finger that there is no God. Nature, Mother Nature, which aggressively covers up on God. I don't need any explanations. Why is it here? Mother Nature doesn't explain anything, just a description. Mother Nature. I don't need an explanation. Doesn't need any explanation. Why is the world here? No, there's no creator. If God, someone today believes in creationism, it's, it's a revolution in America for someone to believe in creationism. An intelligent design. No, the world is just here. It just happened. A big bang, it just happened. There's no creator. There's no intelligence. It just happened. It's such a foolishness, such nonsense. So in a way, nature aggressively covers up in the truth. Not only does it hide and conceal, but it actually, actually defies the truth. And aggressively goes contrary to the truth. And pushes itself. So in a way, the world is not only material. Not only is this world different than all the other worlds. All the other realms are spiritual. And are refined. And are open to godliness. And point a finger to godliness. And reveal godliness. The nature, the, the nature of this world, by its nature, it's called olam, from the word helem, it's hiding. It hides God, it conceals of a God. But, but worse than that, not only does it conceal in godliness, it actively opposes godliness. It's coarse, it's gross. Not only does it conceal the fact that there is a God, there's a godliness, it actually grossly distorts, grotesquely distorts the reality of God. Denying it is a God. 
I am a self-made man. God has nothing to do with anything. Not my being, not my health, not my success. I am a self-made man. Actively denying the reality. That there's no other reality but God. So this world is a very coarse world. Grotesque world. Brutish, nasty. And mamish says it's tangible. The only reality for us is something that's tangible. If we can touch it, then it's real. Anything we can't touch, abstract. The ultimate uh, level of reality for us is we can touch it. And he explains, this world... This world is the lowest in degree. There is none lower than it in terms of concealment. There's light. And no world compares with it for doubled and redoubled darkness. Nowhere is Hashem's light hidden as in this world. So much so that it is filled with klipot and sitra akhra, which actually oppose Hashem, saying, I am, and there is nothing else besides me. He's saying this world is physical. Then he says it's gross. Then he says it's literal. Literally gross. Then he says it's the lowest of all the levels. There is nothing lower than this world. Because not only is godliness hidden, but godliness, the darkness, is double and redoubled. And not only, not only doesn't, doesn't the world point to God, it actually denies God, covers up in God, aggressively covers up in God. And in addition to that, you also have, till the world is filled with klippa, klippa lies. Klippa and the other side actually lie and actively oppose God and deny God. And more so they say, there's nothing else but me. Absolute ego. Unbridled ego. Unbridled self. There's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no cause. I don't come from anywhere, I'm not going anywhere, I am here. I am the beginning and the middle and the end of reality. I am the center of attention, I am self-absorbed, I am self-centered. I, 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 I. Nothing else exists but me. This is the antithesis of godliness. So that's what the Medrash says. Hashem desire to have a to have dwelling place. What do you mean tachtoinim? A world that's low? A world that's distant from God? There is no world that's distant from God. From God's point of view, there is no world that's distant from God. The lowest world is just as distant as the higher world. Or it's just as close as the highest world. There's no difference. To God, it's all the same. But he means, he means the lowest worlds in relation to the higher worlds. The lowest worlds are different than the higher worlds. All the higher worlds are called the higher worlds. They all fit into that category, even though it includes a myriad of worlds. Because they're all about revelation, revealing Hashem. God is covered up. God is also revealed. This world is different than all the other worlds. This world, godliness is hidden. You can live a life and live in this world that people go through life and have no sense of anything beyond themselves. Zero sense of anything beyond them. And to add insult to injury, it's much worse than that. Not only is there no sense of anything beyond themselves, they actively deny, aggressively deny that there's anything beyond themselves. And they live a life of pure self-absorption. Pure ego. 
arrogance. Very coarse. What's the, and what's the purpose? What's the purpose of creation? Why would God create such a coarse world? A gross, grotesque world where people could be so brutish and nasty. Isn't the purpose of creation in order that there should be a revelation of godliness? purpose of creation is for the higher, for the noble parts of a person. So we should develop love, we should develop awareness, understanding. We should develop higher levels of consciousness. So it would seem that the purpose of creation is for the higher, the more noble, the more sublime, the more spiritual realms. That's what fulfills the purpose of creation. When you learn to love, that's the purpose of creation. When you learn to be aware, to be cognizant, that's the purpose of creation. When you learn to meditate and to soar and to achieve higher levels of consciousness, that's the purpose of creation. Dr. Rebbe says no. Because if that were the case, what's the point of this world? Why create a world which not only is there no revelation, and it's such a struggle to achieve any level of revelation, any development of the higher sensibilities, of the more sublime, of love and spirituality and sensitivity. and When every aspect of this world is opposed, and the antithesis of everything is godly and noble and spiritual and wholesome and good and kind and decent and selfless, what would, what would be the purpose of creating such a hostile world that's actually actively hostile to God? Not only is it not a vessel, a vehicle for godliness, but every point of this world is filled to capacity with klipa, which lies and distorts, which is the antithesis of God. So why create a whole world that its whole being is the antithesis of God? And everything is good, decent, and noble, and true, and genuine and authentic deep and profound what's the point God should have sufficed by creating the deep worlds the profound worlds the deep realms the profound realms the question is did he create the world as a contrast as like a backdrop to appreciate the higher the more noble the more sublime you have to have darkness to appreciate light so maybe the purpose is really the higher realms. The more spiritual, the more sublime. That's the purpose of creation. And this world is just by way of contrast. So the Rebbe is going to say no. The purpose is not the higher realms. That's not the purpose. Higher levels of consciousness, love, spirituality, meditation... That's not the purpose. The ultimate purpose of creation is the material, this world. Believe it or not, it's this world. This is a revolutionary statement. This is what the Medrash is telling us. That God desired to have a dwelling place in this world. 
Why God desired it, we have no clue. That's why the Medrash uses the unusual expression, Nisave. Nisave means a taiva. Taiva means you, you want. It's usually something that's coarse. You have a taiva. You have a pull. Something pulls you. You can't explain it rationally and logically. Why a person has a pull to materialistic things. You just have a pull. You just desire it. There's no reasons given. There's no reasons needed. You just pulled. So why would the Medrash use such an expression on Hashem? That Hashem had a taiva. Hashem wanted. <laughs> Hashem is a baltaiva. Hashem just, just indulges. But what the Medrash is saying is just like the Alter Rebbe says, if a taiva frecken concussion, you can't ask a question on a taiva. You don't ask any question why you want certain things. You want it. It's instinct. It's nature. You don't need any explanations and there's no explanation. You just want it. So he's trying to say that on this Ave, why Hashem wanted, you can't ask the question why Hashem wanted. Because it comes from a deeper place in intellect. It comes from a deeper place in reason. Hashem wanted. We don't know why, but he wanted. Why he wanted, we don't know. It's a taiva. But what he wanted, we do know. He told us clearly what he wanted. He wanted, for whatever reason, God desired, he wanted to have a dwelling place for himself in this world. In other words, the whole purpose of creation. And that's the reason why God created the higher realms and the upper realms and spirituality and meditation and spirit and, and religion and intensity and depth. All of that and awareness and higher levels of consciousness and beauty and the sublime. All of that was really because this material world. That there should be human beings, flesh and blood, who live human lives, who eat food who are constantly grounded in this physical material world and the purpose is not God forbid that the world should remain as it is that's not, that's not a purpose that's not a, that's not a plan the plan is not God wanted the world as is God wanted us and he basically contract, contracted the Jew to be the GC of this project. But he wants us to take this world, this coarse, egotistical, materialistic and tangible world, and to transform it and to change it. It doesn't deny God, but actually feels and senses God. So when the Medrash says that God wanted a home, to feel at home, b'tachtoinim, tachtoinim, he asked, what do you mean tachtoinim, a lower world? For God, in relation to God, there is no higher, there is no lower. But he means tachtoinim is a world which is a novelty. It's different than all the other worlds. Why is this world different than all the other worlds? Because this world is a novelty. All the other worlds are just like a chain reaction. One level leads to the next level, leads to the next level. Godliness is more concealed, less concealed. But it's all on the same page. They're all about revealing God. To reveal, to create a world where Godliness is hidden. Where Godliness is concealed. And a world which actually denies God. This is a novelty. It's a different world. It's a new world. God had to create such a world. This is the ultimate expression of God's creativity. 
the ultimate expression of God's creativity. Where do you see God's creative act? As the philosophers say, there's no creation ex nihilo like the creation of something material. How do you get from something spiritual to something material, from energy to matter? That's the ultimate leap. It's the ultimate quantum leap. It's the most radical leap. There's no connection. How do you get from point A to point B? To create a material, dense, tangible world which doesn't point its finger to its source, doesn't sense that it has a source, and actively denies that there is a source, and only points a finger to itself. I exist because I exist, and I'm a self-made and there is nothing else. And there's no rhyme, and there's no reason, there's no purpose, there's no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end. It's say that Hishtarshla is where it goes from chain to chain, so one leads to the next. And the lower world is contained in the higher world, and then it develops into a, a lower world. But this material, physical world doesn't exist in its source. How do you have a world that doesn't point to a source, doesn't have a cause? <laughs> then where does it come from? Why is it here? And it actively denies that there's a source. Aggressively and actively and brazenly denies God, denies that there's even the reality of godliness. How do you end up in such a coarse, gross, grotesque, lying world? Where does this come from? This is a novelty. And what's the purpose. Why did God create this type of world? Wanted this world. And this is, this is a world that's different than all the other worlds, all the other realms. And why did He want this world? Because He wanted us to take this world and to change it, and to transform it, and to reveal Hashem into this world. To reveal and to make Hashem feel at home, to make God feel at home in this world that we should become aware of God, aware of the reality of God. And so much so to make God feel at home in this world. To continue. Thus clear that the term lower realms refers to this physical world, the very lowest in degree of divine revelation. Since there is but one order of Ishtar Shalut, a question arises. Does its ultimate purpose lie in the higher worlds, where godliness is revealed to a greater degree, while the lower worlds serve only to them? since light is distinguishable only where darkness exists? Or, on the contrary, does its purpose lie in the lower realms, but in order to create them, an order of Hishtalshalut is necessary, entailing the creation of the higher realms? Obviously, concealment of godliness is not an end in itself. Thus, if we assume the second position, it follows that these lower realms were created so that the darkness pervading them be transformed to light. The statement that Hashem desired an abode in the lower realms shows the latter position to be the true one, and the abode is built by the revelation of His presence in this lowest of worlds to a degree surpassing even that in the highest. This, in brief, is the subject of the following paragraphs in the text. The purpose of the Ishtashalut of the world and of the descent from level to level is not for the sake of the higher world since for them this constitutes a descent from the light of his world, world Olam in Hebrew, they know it's concealment. Thus even the highest world constituted by their very existence descend from the pervading level of godliness that preceded their creation. It is illogical then to say that the relation which these higher worlds represents is the purpose of Ishtal Shalom, since their revelation is actually concealment. 
and the ultimate purpose of creation lies in revelation, not concealment. So you can say that the purpose of all the worlds are the higher realms because the higher realms are actually, even the highest realm is actually a, a lower level. Even in the highest realms, there has to be a veil. As he said earlier, there's no veil when we cease to exist. So by definition, any world, even the highest world, by definition, is called Olam from the word Helem. There's a veil, there's a concealment. So what would be the purpose of creating a world in order to reveal God when godliness was, was revealed on a much more intense level, a much higher level before it was before it was before it descended and was revealed in the world. So, because no matter what level of revelation you achieve, the highest level of religious intensity, religiosity, and spirituality, and uh, it's nothing in comparison to the way godliness is revealed without any concealment. So, what would be the purpose of creating a world that's a descent? So, it makes no sense. Also, creation, God created the world, the essence of God. Like in the the analogy of the home, there are basically two parts to the person. There's the part of the person when you project yourself on the outside, you role play, and you can take many forms. And in the course of a day, you can role play, you can wear many hats, you can play many roles. You can be a parent, and you can be a teacher, and you can be a principal, and you can be a worker, and you can be a businessman. You can play many roles. You project yourself accordingly. But then there is the home. The home is where your essence is revealed. For example, a king. A king projects himself, projects his his majesty, projects his power, projects his presence. But that's all the king, where the king is projecting himself. But then you have when the king is in the palace, when he's in the privacy of his room. And when the king is naked, he's alone. He's not projecting, he's he's not playing king. He is himself. His essence that transcends even the idea of being a king. He just is. Why was he chosen the king? He was chosen king because he's head and shoulders above everyone else. There's a part within him that has nothing to do with being king. It's just his very essence. So the whole projection of his image and his... That's all like external to the essence of the king. So it makes no sense that God himself created the world in order to project himself. What, so what's the purpose? What does he accomplish? What does he gain? His essence is chosen and desire to create a world in order to project himself, which is external, superficial to Hashem. So it makes no sense. It's a descent. It's not an accomplishment. It's actually a, it's a demotion. <laughs> That can't be the goal. The goal cannot be meditation, spirituality, religion. That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. What is the goal? Rather. Rather, the purpose of Ishtashilut is the lowest world. All the higher worlds are merely steps in the descent of the divine creation power. In each of them, the light is veiled yet further until it is finally reduced to the minute degree of revelation that this physical world is capable of receiving. So the purpose must be this physical world. Because in this physical world, it's not a descent. It's a novelty. 
to be able to reveal godliness in this world is a novelty. Because this world is not made up. The substance of this world is is coarse. The substance of this world is the antithesis of godliness. The substance of this world is opaque. It's dense. Godliness cannot penetrate. There's no sense of godliness. On the contrary, everything in this world fights and it opposes godliness. Deception. There's no reality. There's no truth. Everything is political. Everything is distorted. Everything is twisted. The antithesis of godliness, the antithesis of everything that's noble and refined and good and decent and wholesome. So in order to take this world and to make it a dwelling place for Hashem, that we should live in this world and we should be aware of God and become aware of the reality of godliness, that's a novelty. That's an accomplishment. Because you're not revealing something that's there. This world is not a vessel to receive godliness. When this world, its very being, is the antithesis of godliness. So by creating, by revealing godliness and making, becoming aware of godliness and making a place where God says, I feel at home in this world, you're creating something up. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Only God has the ability to create a new, a new type of world which doesn't follow sequentially and logically what we call Seder Rishtalshlus. It doesn't follow from the higher realms. It's Tachtainim. It's a lower world which is the opposite of all the higher worlds. The antithesis of all the higher worlds. A new type of world. A dense, coarse, gross, grotesque, materialistic world. So this is the ultimate expression of God creativity and only the essence of God could actually create such a world because God also has no rhyme and reason God is not part of the chain of worlds God transcends all the worlds all there is is God God is the essence God is so therefore God only God has the power to create an ego that senses I am because I am there's no rhyme there's no reason there's no justification And therefore, this world is the ultimate expression of God's creativity. So therefore, this is the ultimate accomplishment to create something new. To be able to take something that's so coarse and so grotesque and so materialistic and to be able to transform it and to change it and to bring godliness into this world. That's an accomplishment. That's, a, that's doing something. That's creating something creative. That's something spectacular. To reveal godliness in the higher realms, not only is it not an accomplishment, it's actually a downgrade. But not only have we accomplished anything, it's a downgrade. But to be able to change and to transform, that's something that only, only God has that power. Only God has the power to hide himself to such an extent. Only God has the power to create this type of world, such a coarse, grotesque, egotistical world, egomaniacal world, 
that completely denies God. And therefore, since this world contains within it God's infinite creative power, God's essential being, in a certain sense, that's why this is the only world that God's essence could be revealed. So what's accomplished by revealing God in this world and becoming aware of God in this world and by doing the mitzvot, physically doing the mitzvot, it's not we're accomplishing the same thing. We're trying to accomplish the same thing, the same level as the higher realms. We're trying to bring, to reveal God in this world. We're accomplishing something far more profound. Because the higher realms are merely God's projection. The revelation of God in the higher realms are merely God's projection. It's God's surface, so to speak. His projection, not His essence. Just like when the person goes outside of his house, he projects himself. It's all projection. It's a role-playing. It's not the essence of the person. Where is the essence of the person? Where is the person found naked in every sense of the word where the person's essence, where the person is for himself? Not projecting and not external, not surface. This is being his essence. Only in his home. So the Medrash says, where do we make a home for God? Where does God feel at home? Where do we have the divine essence? Not in the heavens. Not in the heaven of heavens. Not in the higher realms. The higher realms, all they have is God's protection, not God's essence. Who has God's essence? Only in this physical. When you take this darkness, this coarseness, a human being who lives a human life, a soul and a body who eats and drinks and is constantly living and grounded in the material, coarse, materialistic world. And yet, within our daily lives, we're constantly aware of godliness and constantly doing the mitzvot and making the brachot and constantly being aware of Hashem. So we're creating this novelty. We're taking darkness and transforming the darkness and creating and transforming it into light. We're making Hashem, we're making ourselves aware of Hashem in this physical, coarse, materialistic, in our daily lives by doing the physical mitzvah. So we're revealing the essence of God in this world. We're drawing down the essence of God in this world. We're making something that the higher realms do not have. They do not have the essence of God. They don't know what the essence of God looks like. But it's only in this physical world that God desired to reveal His essence. And that's why he created a world that's called Tachtoinim, a world which is so coarse and grotesque and the antithesis of everything that's godly and good. And it's the ultimate creative act of Hashem. And it's in this world that we can reveal the essence of Hashem. By doing the ultimate creative act, which is what a Jew accomplishes. What a Jew accomplishes is nothing less astonishing than the creative act of God. Just like God creates something from nothing, something material, coarse from something spiritual, transforms energy into matter and creates a dense world, a coarse world, a materialistic world, a world filled with klipa. So a Jew also does the ultimate creative act. He takes this coarse, dense, materialistic world and transforms it back into something divine, into something godly, into something holy. By doing a mitzvah with your physical being, with a physical object, by transforming that physical object and transforming it back into something divine, holy, and godly. That's the ultimate creative act. 
So here we come face to face with the essence of God. And that's what God desired. That's a tremendous accomplishment. So it must be this is the ultimate person, purpose of creation. That's what the Medrash is telling us. It cannot be that the purpose of creation is the higher realms, the spiritual realms. It must be because there's no novelty there. On the contrary, it's a, it's a downgrade. It's not an upgrade. It's in this world that we have an upgrade. To take a tachtoinim, a world that's so distant from godliness. Not only doesn't it reveal godliness, it actively opposes godliness. And to transform it, and to change it, where instead of opposing godliness, we actually become aware of godliness and obey Hashem's mitzvot. And in our daily life, in every aspect of our life, godliness permeates every aspect of our life as we go about our daily lives. Physical, natural, daily lives. Then we upgrade the world. We create a novelty, we transform, we change, we have changed the darkness into light. So it's not only that we've, we've achieved parity with the higher realms, we've reached the higher realms. No. We're creating something new, something that doesn't exist in the higher realms, something novel. We reveal the essence of God in this world, a home for Hashem. And that's something that doesn't exist in the higher realms. The higher realms are not a home for Hashem. It's God's majesty, it's God's projection. That's role-playing. That's God is role-playing. That's superficial, external to God. In this world, we accomplish a novelty. What an accomplishment. We make a home for God's essence. For God's essence, His being, as He is for Himself, is completely revealed. Completely manifest. That's something novel. That doesn't exist anywhere. That didn't exist before. Can I ask a question? How do we know it doesn't exist someplace else? How do we know there are not parallel universes? That there aren't opposite universes? So that you and I could be replicated someplace else? Or an opposite... Well, we know that there's a, a, a pro and a con force. But how can we be so sure? Where, where does it say that this is the, the Welt and the Bloise Welt and whatever, you, you know, that you have the hierarchy and, and we down here, our job is to make, make it a place for God's holiness by the way we, the children of God, live our lives. I, don't, I can't just accept stuff. I want to know. How do we know? What we discussed earlier when we started the class that of course, of course we believe in parallel universes. This is, there, there are a myriad of universes. Everything is parallel. It's called Seder Hirstalschlis. Higher realms, spiritual realms. And there are many, many, many realms. But this world is different than all the other worlds. Because all the other worlds are spiritual worlds, spiritual realities. Every spiritual world, no matter what level, it reveals something reveals something of godliness. Not only is it not in opposition to godliness, it's, it reveals something of godliness. Any world has an energy and it reveals something of godliness. This world is unique. It's dense. It's material. It's tangible. It's coarse. It's egotistical. It's the antithesis of godliness. Not only doesn't it reveal that there is a God, that there is a higher reality, but it actively opposes it. This natural world aggressively covers up in any sense that there's even an original cause that there's even a logical cause to this world. Since there's no rhyme, 
we will naturally feel very egotistical and absorbed, self-centered and self-absorbed and selfish. And that comes very naturally to us. And that's unique. That there should be a world which should be so dense and coarse and grotesque and egotistical. That's the novelty of this world. This world is egotistical. All the other worlds are not egotistical. They're spiritual. Different. Self. 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 But a sense of self where there's no zero connection to anything greater, or or beyond us, or our original cause, or even even an awareness. As a matter of fact, the ego blocks out any sense of anything. All there is is me, me myself, and I. Naturally, that's what we feel: completely self-absorbed and self-centered. And it's the antithesis of anything that's godly. So this world is qualitatively different than all the other worlds. That's why this world is the ultimate novelty. The spiritual realms we can understand. Parallel universes, spiritual realms, that that all makes sense. But a world like ours, which completely denies God, why did God create this world? So on the contrary, you have to say this is the ultimate purpose of creation. Because all the parallel universes and the spiritual realms and we call say the Rishtauslas, the, the, the chain reaction of one world to another world, one level to another level, that's a downgrade. Because the highest realm, the highest spiritual level is a concealment from God. Because otherwise it would cease to exist. Because there's a, there's a glass ceiling. It's opaque. It's like a one-way mirror. From God's point of view, all there is is God. So the, the fact that there's something outside of God who's looking in, who's trying to pierce through, who's trying to comprehend, who's trying to penetrate. We're looking into an opaque glass, so automatically there's a concealment. There's a veil. So the highest realm, the highest level of consciousness, the highest spiritual realm is already is a downgrade. So what would, what would be the purpose of creating a world that's a downgrade from, from what it was originally, when godliness was completely permeated every aspect there was no, nothing else but God and why would the essence of God the essence of God desire to create a world where godliness is just projection all we get is a projection of God which is very superficial and external to God that, that's a downgrade but it's only in this world that we have an upgrade ironically and paradoxically this is the Jewish this is revelation of Sinai this is counterintuitive this is what the Torah is telling us. This is something that has eluded all religions and all mysticism. This is the exact opposite of the way, the way everyone thinks, as eluded even the angels. That ironically and paradoxically, this is the world that God desires. This is the ultimate expression of God. This is the ultimate expression of God's creativity. This is the purpose, the entire purpose of all of creation. That's why God created the higher realms, just in order to enable us to have this material, coarse, dense world. Because then when we come and we change this world, and we take this coarseness, and instead we bring the awareness of Hashem into this world through the Torah and the mitzvah, we change this world, we transform this world, we create the ultimate, ultimate novelty. We take something that's dense, it's not even a vessel for godliness, and we transform it into something, into light. We take the darkness and transform it into light. We transform the denseness into godliness. And that's the ultimate expression of the very essence of God. And that reveals the essence of God. That brings down the essence of God. So where, is the, where does God feel at home? Ironically and paradoxically, in this physical and that explains why with also within us 
we also have the parallel universe within us. We are a microcosm of the whole universe. We have the spiritual realms, the higher levels, the sublime realms, the mind, the awareness, the love, the heart, higher levels of consciousness, sublime music, sublime art, meditation, religiosity, spirituality, philosophy. God says, you know, that's just a means to an end. You know what the ultimate purpose is? Your action, your deed, taking your arms and physically doing the mitzvah. That's the ultimate purpose. Engaging your natural soul, forcing yourself even to do the right thing, thinking, acting, speaking properly on a, in our, on a daily basis, in our daily lives. This is the ultimate purpose. This is the ultimate novelty. To take the physical and the material and to transform it into something godly, this is what brings down, what reveals the essence of God in this world. And that's the ultimate purpose of creation. This is the pinnacle of creation. This is the most creative act of God. This is the most dynamic of all the worlds. This is the most profound and deepest of all the worlds. Like he's going to say that the level of godliness that we reveal in this world is much greater than the level of godliness that's revealed in the higher realms. Not only that we reveal godliness in this world by becoming aware of Hashem. So godliness is also revealed in this world. No. That's not what this world is about. This world is not about revelation. When you transform the darkness into light, you not only reveal the same level of godliness that they, that's revealed in the higher realms, you reveal an entirely new level, a level that doesn't exist in the higher realms. Because in the highest realm, godliness is concealed, to some extent, even in the highest realm. In this world, you reveal the essence of God, where there's no concealment whatsoever. Just like when the person is at home. You're at home, even without any concealment. You're naked in every sense of the word. You're at home. The, your essence is revealed. So in this world, we reveal the essence of God where Godliness is completely revealed. There's no concealment. The very essence of God is revealed and manifest in this world. That's the ultimate Shekhinah. That's why he says, how do you fuel the Shekhinah? How do you bring the deepest level of the Shekhinah, the most intense level of the Shekhinah? What's the fuel that flames that fire? It's only the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah. Through our lower realms, through the action and deed, which is the lowest realm within us, the physical, the daily, the simple, the tangible, the body, engaging the body, by engaging the body and physically doing the mitzvah, that's the fuel that's transformed into the flame, fuels the flame, and brings Hashem's shechina, brings Hashem's presence, the essence of God is revealed in this world. This world becomes a dwelling place for God, a home for God, a temple for God, a God, a home where Hashem says, I feel completely at home in this world. This is revolutionary. This is unique to Judaism. 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, our, you know, people who came before us could have been sitting as you are and people like those listening, studying, how would their world have been different than the world that we are in this moment, in this instant, and inhabiting? The lessons that you're teaching, I'm assuming are the same lessons that maybe the time of Rashi or the time of our sages, you know, were also, uh, the same lesson was also being taught that, though, at that time. So if we're evolving our evolutionary process, Yes. How 
how am I different now than, you know, Sonia going or Sara going back, whatever? It's much different, and that's actually, that's actually we're going to discuss in the next chapter, because the world has gotten a lot coarser, yeah. a lot, so a lot more dense. Right? Why? If, if my ancestors were studying all of this, and we're evolving and elevating, why is the world in which we're... I, oh, I know, because the closer you get to the light, the stronger the darkness starts to try well, to manifest. Well, but, but, well you know, let, let's leave that for the next chapter. That's exactly the point he's going to discuss in the next chapter, that actually this, this is the explanation. Based on what we're learning now, it actually makes a lot of sense. Why, why, why that is. It's not random, it's not accidental. This is part of the plan. This is part of the divine plan. It's not only because of negative reasons, it's actually um, it's part of the divine plan. It's actually a very positive reason to it. But, you know, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, one, one, step, one step at a time.